we're going to continue in our series called Meet Jesus, uh, which is a study of the Gospel of John. And uh, we come to a passage here in, in chapter 11 of a pretty well-known story uh, where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. So uh, it should be a fun one. I'm going to pray for us, uh, and then we'll get into it. Father, we uh, ask, Lord, that, that you would help us to understand your word, Lord, that you would uh, illuminate it in our hearts, apply it to our lives, help us to know you, help us to believe you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm going to start by reading uh, verses 1 through 3 to set us up, uh, verse 1 through 3 of chapter 11. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sisters sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Do you remember a time when you received news from someone dear to you that they were sick? And I don't, I don't mean like just like sick with a cold, but, but, you know, you've heard the news that something was drastically wrong, that, that, that it was really bad news. I remember uh, just this past May, uh, it was a Tuesday, and I just finished up work here, was just starting to, to drive home, and I got a call from my, my father-in-law at an odd time, so it just didn't make sense to me. I answered it, and he said, uh, are you home? I said, not yet. He says, uh, um, get home as quick as you can. I've got some news to share with you and, and with Stephanie, um, and Stephanie's not going to take it very well. And so I drove home another five minutes or so, um, greeted Stephanie, and uh, said, Stephanie, we need to call your dad. Um, I'm afraid he doesn't have good news. And, and we called him, and uh, he shared with us that he had what they believe was this rare form of cancer, and that most likely it spread, um, which if you know about cancer, that's, that's stage four. And, and I remember just hearing that and, and feeling the weight of that. It was almost surreal, like this can't be happening. And, and feeling so bad for Stephanie and so bad for myself. And in the short amount of time, I, I come to know my father, I call him dad, and how quickly he accepted me and was super supportive of me in our dating relationship. It just hit me that you hear stage four cancer. You, you, if you know anything about the statistics, it's not good. So how do, you, how do you respond when you hear news like that? How do you respond when it's not just something that passes, but something that could be final? How do you respond when you get news about someone you care about, someone that you love? This is the situation that we find in this passage. Jesus 
uh, is friends with Lazarus and his sisters, Martha and Mary. He loves them dearly, and he gets this news that he's not well, and he knows it's, it's serious. And as we read this ensuing story, we're going to see Jesus respond um, in several ways. And I want to highlight that he responds in five ways that I'm going to point out. The first is that Jesus responds with a purpose. The second is Jesus responds by going. The third is Jesus responds with a call to believe. The fourth is Jesus responds with emotion. And the fifth is Jesus responds by taking action. And and the title of the sermon this morning is Jesus Flips the Script on Funerals. Jesus Flips the Script on Funerals. And we're going to see what that looks like as we go through the story. So after hearing this very disheartening news about his dear friend, Jesus first responds with a purpose. Let me read verse 4 through 6. When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. So Jesus first says, this sickness will not end in death, but is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Jesus responds with a purpose. And and if you remember back to the story of the person who was born blind, Jesus says something very similar, that, that this person uh, wasn't born blind because of their sin or their parents' sin, but rather that the works of God might be displayed in him. And so, so Jesus is saying again that, that this person, this sickness is not going to lead to death, but it's going to serve a purpose that God may be glorified and the Son of God may be glorified. Now, when you hear purpose, don't hear that God is directly causing this necessarily. Sometimes God directly causes things in our lives. Sometimes he uses things that other people do to bring about his purposes. If you think of the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers... Joseph, at the end of it all, they go through a bunch of stuff. Like, Joseph goes through hard, hard times. It's a wonderful, beautiful story about what it looks like to suffer um, and still have hope and still see God intervene. Joseph says to his brothers in this beautiful reconciliation, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. And so we see that, that what other people might do to you God's not directly doing it. Other people might have their own intentions, but God has his own intentions that supersede. So when you hear God's purpose, don't hear it like God's necessarily doing this to you. Whatever is happening, whether it is God doing something, whether it is someone else attacking you or just the sickness of a fallen world, God has 
a purpose in it. What would it look like if you looked at your trials, if you looked at your struggles, if you looked at your suffering with lenses that saw through a purpose of God? And what if that purpose was that God may be glorified in your trial, in your suffering? What would it look like? How would that change your perspective about that trial, about that suffering? Jesus starts with responding that he has a purpose. It's it's not random. And I think that's as, as people who believe in God, it's very important for us to understand that life is not random, including suffering, including hurts and pains and trials and difficult situations. It's not random. There is a God who's sovereign and in control, and he has a purpose. He has a purpose for Lazarus and his death. As you think about God's purposes, what Jesus says next is is really key to understanding something here. In verse 5, he says, Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. He loved them. His purpose is connected to his love for us. Right? Purpose by itself might be helpful. It might not. Right? People can purpose to do evil, right? Just because there's a purpose doesn't mean it's good. But, but Jesus has a purpose, an intent that's also good because it's connected to his love for us. Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Jesus. Now, in verse 6, something very interesting happens. I, I, I was reading this to Stephanie last night, and she caught it right away. And I, I want to see if you catch it. Verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. Verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. That's just, this is odd. He loves them, so he stays two more days. That's odd to me. I remember when I was... Um, Stephanie and I were in Vancouver, where her parents live. We were watching the Hawks play. I get a call from my dad, and he says, he says, mom's gone, and that's my grandma. She's gone? Like, just, just like that. You know what I didn't do? Watch the rest of the Hawks game. Right? I mean, you hear news like that, you get up and you go. We, he's like, the Hawks game, who cares about the Hawks game? We need to be with family. We need to go and figure out what's going on. And so we left right away. And so, so what Jesus does is so counter to what we would think of as love, isn't it? Jesus stays two more days. What is Jesus doing for two days while his good friend is sick, eating, drinking, acting natural, normal. And and, and moreover, it seems to indicate, as you read verse 6, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place. 
It's almost like Jesus was saying that my love is actually being demonstrated by me staying two more days. And, and John, who's, who's writing this, is, is doing this on purpose. He's, he's building this point of tension that he's going to resolve later in what Jesus does. It becomes clear why Jesus stays two more days. And so, Jesus next responds by going. Verse 7. I'm going to read verses 7 through 16. Then after that, he said to his disciples, or he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews tried to stone you, and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in the day, Jesus answered? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks during the night, he does stumble because the light is not in him. He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death. But they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe but let's go to him. Then Thomas, called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too, so that we may die with him. After two days, Jesus says, let's go to Judea again. Now, it's important to understand the context of this. What has just happened before this? In, in the passage that John, Pastor John preached, Jesus said, verse 30 of chapter 10, I and the Father are one, and the Jewish establishment, the leaders, didn't like that statement because Jesus was equating himself with God, and they picked up stones to throw at him. They, they wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus talked some more. They still wanted to kill Jesus, and he barely escaped, and he goes away from Judea. So now Jesus is saying, let's go back to Judea. And his disciples, understandably so, are like, wait a minute. <laughs> you remember, right, Jesus, what just happened? Right? They were trying to kill you. And by the way, um, I'm sure they're concerned for Jesus, but they're probably also concerned for their own lives. Right? If, if you have someone who's wanted some, you know, a criminal or someone who's a leader of an organization, and he's wanted so that they can kill him, guess what they're going to do to his followers? They're going to kill him, or they're going to put him in prison. They're going to do something bad. And so they're worried for their lives, too. Like, Jesus, we're with you. We're your followers. But they're trying to kill you, just so you know. If you didn't see that rock go by your head... <laughs> and so that's what they're, they're telling Jesus. We, that's probably not a good idea is what they're saying. 
probably not a good idea. Jesus responds. He says, are there not 12 hours in a day? And he kind of goes through um, this saying. And all he's saying is, it's working time. Okay? In, in our day and age, a work day, we, we describe it as 9 to 5 typically. And their day, a work day, was dawn to dusk. Roughly 12 hours. When there was light, you worked. And what he's saying is, I'm here, I'm the light, it's working time, and this is part of what God has given me to work. It's time to work. And if you're with Jesus, you won't stumble. If you're with me, you're not going to stumble. They don't fully understand, though. But that's what Jesus is saying. And then you get this funny misinterpretation of what Jesus says. He says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. And they're like, Jesus, he'll wake up and he'll be okay. And Jesus is like, (laughs) Lazarus is dead. And we're going to go and see him. And then Thomas says, and he doesn't say it to Jesus in verse 16. So as he says to his fellow disciples, you can almost picture, he's like, let's go die with him. Now, I don't think, I don't think that's like an excitement, you know? It's like probably exasperation, right? They're his followers, so they're going to keep following him, but now they're like, ah, we got to go, we got to go be with him, and we're probably going to die, so let's go. So they still don't understand what Jesus has for them. Jesus responds by going. Now, uh, Jesus said prior, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. And this is um, a really important clue as to why Jesus is doing this. Um, Jesus is saying that I'm taking you there for a purpose, for a reason, that Jesus is going to help them believe something. And and, and if you know the story, you know what Jesus is going to do. Uh, But the point that, the the application point I want to bring out is sometimes in life, it it seems like following Jesus is like a march into death. Sometimes following Jesus seems like you're marching into death. You're on your way to death. I remember when I was uh, younger, 20-something, single, I sometimes felt like following Jesus was like marching into death. Like I was working, making decent money, and, and all of my other coworkers were, you know, out having fun. And they would say, hey, hey, you want to come go clubbing? No, I'm just going to stay at home and die with Jesus. That's how I felt sometimes. Sometimes following Jesus is hard. It's not always easy. Sometimes it means you sacrifice things that seem good, that seem fun, that seem delightful. But Jesus is calling you to something else, and it seems like death. Maybe Jesus is calling you to march into what seems like death to you. And I don't know what that looks like. I think it looks different for everyone and in different seasons. Maybe it's a conversation that you need to have with someone. 
you don't expect anything good to come from it. It will be hard, it will be awkward, it will be painful. It will seem like death to you, but maybe God is calling you to move in that way. Maybe it's a new job or a new project that you know is the right thing, but you're dreading it. It seems like death to you, but Jesus is calling you to move in that way. And, and as you think about what Jesus might be calling you to, Know that Jesus has a purpose in that, and it's connected to understanding and knowing him in a different way so that you would believe and understand who he is. And and we're going to see Jesus walk that out in the lives of his disciples, and he's doing that very same thing in our lives. Jesus is calling to move forward to take steps of faith, not always seeing All the way down the field, every single step we're going to make, but sometimes only seeing the very next step, and it's a step of faith, and sometimes it looks like death, but we have to understand that Jesus has good purposes in that step so that he would reveal more of himself to us, and that's what he's going to do here in this story. Next, Jesus responds He responds with a call to believe. Let me continue reading verses 17 through 27. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother, As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. The scene here is of a funeral or a memorial. There's mourning, there's wailing, there's probably some laughter, there's food, Right, if you've ever been to a funeral or to a memorial, um, it's just kind of what it is. It's a mixture of emotions. It's a lot of people. It's remembering someone who was dearly loved, hopefully. And in this case, they're remembering someone who was dearly loved. And Jesus comes. He doesn't go all the way into it yet. He's still on the outside. And Martha 
comes out and meets with Jesus. Now notice it says Lazarus had been in the tomb four days, which is pretty significant because it means that even if Jesus had went right away when he received the news, uh, he wouldn't have gotten there in time. It would have been uh, two days prior, so he still would have been dead two days. He's been dead four days. It's even more significant if you understand that in their context, uh, they often held the belief that the spirit sort of remained around the body for three days. And then trying to see if I could get back in, you know, and then they leave. So day four is meant to emphasize he's very dead. He's not coming back. He's super dead, all right? And we're going we're gonna to see that even later. And so Martha greets Jesus. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, which is an expression of faith in Jesus. She had some belief, not surprising, because Jesus has been doing works, miracles, turn water into wine. He uh, gave movement to someone who was paralyzed. He's brought sight to the blind. He's, he's done some things. And so she seems to be expressing that if you were here, somehow, some way, he wouldn't have died. And so it's an expression of faith by Martha. And, and then Jesus' reply is, is, for the moment, very kind of typical of what you would see at a funeral. He says in verse 23, your brother will rise again, which is a pretty normal sentiment. If you've been to a funeral, if you've been to a memorial, there are these, there's nice things that you hear, you know, we'll see them again. Um, they're in a better place, you know. Uh, you know. So you hear these things, and you know, no one says, you know, the, I've never heard a preacher say they're, they're burning right now. I haven't heard that yet. Like, it's just not a proper thing to say in a, in a funeral. So what Jesus is saying is not anything that's remarkable yet. Jesus is saying he will, he will rise again. And, and Martha responds in a very typical way. Sure, yes, Jesus, I believe you. He will rise again at the resurrection in the last day. Someday we'll, we'll meet each other again and everything will be good. And here's where Jesus begins to go off script. Here's where Jesus actually begins to start to flip the script of what a funeral is. And he says in verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? This is not part of the normal funeral script. Jesus is doing something very different. He's saying that in your presence is resurrection and life. Now notice Jesus doesn't say, I can show you the way, the way to life. I can show you the way to resurrection. I can say to you, I can tell you how to get to Disneyland. There's several ways. You can fly, 
you can take a train, you can drive, you go south. And eventually, south, that's, I'm terrible at directions, south. If you keep going that way, eventually you'll end up at the happiest place on earth. Now, if I said to you, I am Disneyland, that has a very different meaning, does it not? It means something completely different to say that I am Disneyland. Because when I say that, you should pause. You should stop and consider exactly what I'm saying. Because if I said, if it was really true that I'm Disneyland, what I'm saying is your search stops now. Everything you could imagine about the fun and the excitement that you would have is here. And this is what Jesus is saying. He's not saying he's Disneyland. He's saying he's life and the resurrection and that your search stops now. It's here with you in the moment. You don't have to search for it. If Jesus is just pointing to the way to life, then Jesus becomes optional. You don't need Jesus. He might be one of many good teachers who can help you get there. But if Jesus is the resurrection, then there's no way to life but through him. And that's his point. Everything you expect of life, a search for joy, for hope, for meaning, for success, for happiness, is present in the person of Jesus. You don't have to look further. That's what Jesus is saying. And his question to Martha and his question to us is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I ask, as I read that, I ask myself the question, do I believe this? And in my heart, I say, yes, I believe you, Jesus. You are the resurrection. You are the life. And I've experienced the fruit of the joy and the peace And the comfort of knowing Jesus, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of storms, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of doubt. Jesus being the resurrection and the life has implications not only for the future, and it does, but it also has implications for the present. There's a reality to knowing Jesus that enriches our lives in such a way that we can truly say that in Jesus we have life abundantly. Jesus says he's the resurrection and the life, and Martha responds in faith. She says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. Jesus continues, he responds, fourthly, he responds with emotion. Jesus responds with emotion. Let me read verses 28 through 37. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus 
had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? Jesus fully steps into the morning. The scriptures say he was deeply moved in his spirit. He was troubled. And the underlying word has this idea. It comes from this idea of a, of a horse, a racehorse or a, a war horse that snorts. So the, the picture is, 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 is a mixture of emotions. It's this deep sadness mixed with this anger almost, this focus as he looks at death, and Jesus is not happy with death. He's deeply moved in his spirit and troubled at the prospect that death has taken his friend, and now his eyes are focused on death. And then Jesus asks, where have you put him? And they said, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, the shortest English verse in the Bible is this verse, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus cried for his friend. And as I was reflecting, it was the first time I read it, it, and I've read this passage many times, but it hit me in a new way in the last couple of weeks as I thought about the way that Jesus loves us. He, he wept for his friend Lazarus. And, and then I thought, Jesus weeps for me. Jesus loves us so much. He loves us not just intellectually, not just in the sense that he's trying to be obedient to his father, but he loves us emotionally. He loves us in the way that we love people here on earth, like our family, our friends, our spouses. And we would cry, we would shed tears if, if there was loss. Jesus loves us with that kind of love. It's emotional love. And Jesus cries. And it's, it's okay to cry. It's okay to shed tears. And 
I think, I think sometimes there's some bad counseling advice out there, and I'm guilty of it. We see someone crying, someone mourning, and we think, they're there now. God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Don't cry. You should be happy. You should see the silver lining. And if anyone can see the silver lining, it's Jesus. Jesus knew exactly what he was going to do. Jesus knew the joy on the other side that was coming, and yet Jesus still cries. He still fully enters the mourning process. He doesn't ignore the pain and the reality of suffering and loss. Jesus, who was all-powerful, who would bring life again, stays in this moment of suffering. And I just want to say to us, it's okay to mourn. It's okay to cry. It's okay to be sad because Jesus was. And yet we don't mourn as those without hope. And Jesus didn't mourn as one without hope because he knew he owned death. And he was going to show them something miraculous. Jesus responds with emotion. But he doesn't end there. Jesus, being God, says, I can go further than emotion. I can take action. And this is the final response. Jesus responds by taking action. Verse 38 and following. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, there is already a stench because he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe you sent me. After he said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound, hand and foot, with linen strips, and with his face wrapped in a cloth, Jesus said to him, said to them, Unwrap him and let him go. Now, in the beginning of that passage, that section, Jesus says, remove the stone, which um, is not something you would normally do at a funeral when the body's been dead four days. And it's, it's interesting, you can see Martha, who, who had this expression of faith earlier, and not to take anything away from that expression of faith, but she doesn't fully understand yet what Jesus meant. And that's why she says, wait a minute, Jesus. Uh, we, we, might, we might want to not do that because he's been dead four days, in case you didn't know. And by that time, there's, there's smell. In other words, the, the body's decomposing. 
And again, it's just another underscore that Lazarus is very dead. So it's not the case that he just died and he might be resuscitated. It's not the case that he looked like he died. It's the case that he's very dead, so much so that his body is decomposing and it smells, so they think. And Jesus says, don't you know? Didn't, didn't you understand what I meant, that my glory will be seen? He says, roll away the stone. And he rolls away the stone. And what does Jesus do? He starts with prayer. Now, when did Jesus start praying? Look at, look at the verse. When did Jesus, someone tell me, when did Jesus start praying? Maybe. You've already heard me. Jesus has been praying. Now, we don't know exactly when, but Jesus didn't come up to that moment and all of a sudden go, oh, I better pray. Sometimes that's how we pray, right? These last-minute requests, emergency. We, we do everything we can to fix the problem. We get to a point where we finally realize, oh, okay, I can't do it. Oh, maybe I should pray. Like Jesus doesn't do that. He's been praying. And so he comes to this place, having prayed already, he's not praying for his sake at this point. He says, I'm praying for y'all's sake. And what he's doing, he's telegraphing what he's about to do. So that when he does what he does, it will be very clear that what he does is connected to the Father. He says, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I'm doing this for their sake so that you all, us, we, may believe that Jesus sent him. Or that God sent Jesus. That's the point. He prays early, often. And then he acts. And this is the last miracle of the Gospel of John. The last sign. And this is the one that as we'll go forward, this is the one that sort of is the last straw in terms of the religious leaders. This is the one they're like, all right, we need to kill him. Because <laughs> now you have a man who was dead, like it, no question about it. Like everyone knew this guy was dead. He was in the cave for four days. He's completely dead. And now he's walking and alive and later we'll see what was a funeral became a festival. And he sits and eats dinner. And so people are now seeing this guy who was dead, and they can't help but give glory to God. They can't help but give glory to the Son of God, Jesus. And now the religious leaders are like, uh-oh, he's got to die. Jesus highlights what he said earlier in verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life. And he proves it in doing what no one has done before, what was impossible, what is impossible except for the power of God. Now, how do we apply this? How do we apply this truth? I want to go back to the story I started with, the terrible news that we got uh, about my father-in-law what we thought 
almost assuredly was stage four cancer. And at that point, you're thinking, all right, well, it was, it was a crazy time because the, the day before, we find out we're, we're pregnant. And we go out to dinner, and we're taking pictures, and we're celebrating, and we're just so thankful and grateful and seeing life in us to be followed by this news the day after and now wondering, will, will he get to know and meet our baby? Will, how, much, how long will he get to see her? And, but you know what, what we did? We prayed. Why? Because we believe in the God who can act. We believe in the God who hears. We believe in a God who owns life and death. And we believe not necessarily that God would do it, but we knew that God could do it. And so we prayed and we asked God. And, and some of you prayed. Some of you we shared that with and we asked you to pray and, and for uh, our, 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 our dad. And a couple weeks later, we were praying specifically, Lord, uh, when he goes back in, we're praying for the best news possible. And he went back in. And guess what? We got the best news possible. It was not stage four cancer. His, his tumor on his neck was a primary tumor, which means it was the only one. And they cut it out, and they did some radiation and by medically, everything should be good. And so now we're expecting many more years with him. And, and I know you could chalk it up to, oh, well, that's just coincidence. And, you know, that would have happened anyways. It was just a misdiagnosis. And I suppose a skeptic can, but um, as someone who believes in Jesus and believes in the power of prayer and believes that God owns life, I believe that God answered our prayers. I believe he answered it because he loves us doesn't mean that he always answers it the way we want it, but he always has a good purpose in mind. And he's always, always about his glory. And something very cool that, that I got to see and experience through this mini trial was the faith of my father-in-law. As we were on that call, not knowing the future diagnosis that would be much better, my dad was articulating how much confidence he had in Jesus. And he, he was encouraging us. He was saying, don't worry, God's got this. No matter what happens, God's got this. And it was so cool to see how real faith became when everything we value seems to be crumbling, that what did not crumble was his faith in Jesus because Jesus was very real to him. And, and what I want to encourage us this morning is we have a Jesus that is very real. And we can pray to him. We can cling to him and believe that he has our good in mind and he has good purposes for us. He is the resurrection. He is the life. And because of that, we can pray to him. Father, I ask that you would help us to know you even more deeply. 
Lord, even in the midst of what seems like death, Lord, we believe, Lord, that you have flipped the script on death. You own it. You give life. We have everlasting life with you. I pray, Lord, that that truth would transform our relationship with you, that, that we would be compelled to pray, believing, Lord, that, that you are the Son of God, that you are the Messiah who's come, Lord, that you will be glorified in us, that your power will be made manifest in our lives. Help us to believe. Help us to trust. Help us to cling to you. We thank you, Father, for revealing your son to us, for revealing yourself to us. Lord, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. At this time, uh, we